الجزيرة بودكاست Hi, Hala here. Before we start the show, I wanted to let you know that I'll be handing the mic back to Malika Bilal on Monday. It's been a pleasure hosting the take, and you'll still hear me in your ears from time to time on other episodes. Until then, see you soon. Protests against raising the retirement age in France, with over a million people taking to the streets. The nationwide protest is severely disrupting public transportation, like trains and subway service, schools, a number of other industries as well. All of France's biggest unions have come together to fight the changes. But President Emmanuel Macron says pension reform is necessary to make the system sustainable. This year will be one for pension reforms, which aims to guarantee the balance in our system for the coming years and decades. So why is most of the French population so opposed to the move? And will Macron risk civil unrest to push it through? I'm Hala Mohiuddin, and this is The Take. I'm talking with Bernard Smith, an Al Jazeera correspondent who's been watching closely from Paris. Over a million people took to the streets to protest the French government's pension reform plan, and you were out there covering it. What exactly are people protesting? These were nationwide protests, Halla, and actually the turnout was much better than the unions expected. Across the country, it was freezing cold. It was dry, freezing cold wind blowing. We had to get a million people out across the country protesting against pension reforms was remarkable. And people are just frustrated or angry in France, especially after the pandemic, especially as we're in the middle of a cost of living crisis, that now they're being asked to work later. Later by two years. Increasing the retirement age from 62 to 64 is among the most controversial parts of the plan, along with having to work an extra year to get a full pension. But for people who work part-time or take a break from work, particularly women, their age to get a full pension would be higher than 64. His argument is that the system can't afford to keep paying out these pensions without reform, without increased contributions because people are living longer and there are less people entering the workplace because of declining birth rate. The retirement age has also gone up in other European countries in recent years, some of them with protests. But people in France are doing their best to draw a line in the sand. The French think that they will have worked enough. They've already contributing heavily to their retirement, and they think 64 is too old. They want to enjoy their retirement, they want to enjoy later life. That's the attitude. You mentioned people were frustrated. While you were down there among the protesters, can you just give us a sense of what the mood was like? I think people were frustrated because while they accept in France, I think there's genuine general acceptance that they have to reform the pension system somehow because eventually 
as more and more people retire and less young people in the market, they will have to find other ways of funding it. I think people felt that they're already being squeezed enough and maybe there are other ways to reform, to increase contributions to the pension system. People I was speaking to on the streets, I think uniformly felt that maybe employer contributions, for example, could be increased and that they could tax more the very wealthy. During the pandemic, the money was found and the biggest French fortunes grew, 189 billion euros. I think with this money, we should be able to finance public pensions a little bit instead of letting that money go into the pockets of people who already have so much. That view about taxing the very wealthy was very, very prevalent, very, very common because people noticed during COVID how many billions of euros was found to fund furlough schemes or to provide big contracts to companies that provided PPE, the personal protective equipment. And there was so much money spent on that. People felt, well, that obviously that money exists. So maybe they can put some of that money to the pension pot. We spoke to one of those people who's heavily involved in a French labour union that called for the protests. My name is Axel Person. I'm 33 years old. I'm a train driver and have been on the tracks for the past 13 years of my life now. And I'm also the general secretary of the CGT trade union amongst the railway workers in the city of Trappes, which is located in the southwestern suburbs of Paris. Axel acknowledges changes have to be made to France's pension system but he believes Macron's way is wrong. We do think there needs to be changes now because the society has evolved. The projections that are being simulated right now point to the fact that around 10 years from now, the deficit will be around 10 billion euros per year. But 10 billion euro per year, for example, doesn't even represent a fourth of the annual budget that is being spent on the military in France. So the question is not whether there is any money to fund it. It, Everything points to the fact that there is money. It's just that our political opponents do not want to spend it on pensions. Axel also says drawing money from France's super-rich could easily solve the problem. Oxfam here in France recently produced an inquiry that showed you could completely fund the eventual deficit of the entire French pension system simply by taxing the wealthiest billionaires in France with an extra 2%, and that would completely and totally fund the deficits. The protest was organised by many trade unions like Axel's which Bernard says is significant. That was unusual in that the biggest trade unions got together to organise this. Now, normally these the, the big unions are often not singing from the same hymn sheet. They're quite often at each other's throats. This time they managed to get together and lead these protests. I think that's why there was such a big turnout. That's in contrast to what happened the last time Macron tried to reform pensions back in 2019. After a mass protest movement known as the Yellow Vests, plus a pandemic, his effort failed. Some extraordinary scenes in the streets of Paris where thousands of people have gathered to demonstrate once again against the government of French President Emmanuel Macron. Now... 
Bernard says the unions might be hoping to spark another mass movement of their own. I think the unions were sort of hoping that this will become more than just a protest against pension reform. They're, they're hoping it will become another social movement which they can sort of combine concerns about the cost of living crisis as well. Because unions in France, like as in much of Europe, are not as powerful as they once were. You know, there's legislation that makes it a little bit harder to strike. So it's not as easy as it might have been 15, 20 years ago to just call an all-out strike without little notice. So now the unions have seen this perhaps as an opportunity to reassert influence, and that is why they got together and led these protests. Axel says the United Front includes unions usually more supportive of the government, which is a sign of how deeply unpopular the plans are. Even they are finding that this project is going way too uh, far. This reform is seen as completely unacceptable by the vast majority of workers in general in France and by French society in general. So even the rank and file and the sympathizer of these unions are also telling them and pushing them in a direction which is commanding them to organize the fight rather than negotiating this proposed setback in terms of pension rights. More protests are planned for next week. Axel says the movement will continue as long as the government insists on pushing the plan through. We will do what we have always done, which is fight in the streets, fight in the companies, fight in the public administrations and also fight in the universities and build a broad social and as united front as possible against him across all layers of society to force him and the employers he represents to back down. And we have done it in the past. And the history of French organized labor is rife and full of examples where we have defeated governments. Despite the fierce opposition, President Macron is determined to see the plan through. More on that after the break. I'm Charles Dance, your narrator for Hindsight, a dramatized podcast from Al Jazeera. We meet the people who changed the way we think about our world and those who left it marked by their infamy. Hindsight from Al Jazeera, wherever you get your podcasts. From the summer onwards, we will bring about great reforms that will give more freedom to companies to employ people, to be able to reform themselves. That's Emmanuel Macron back in 2017, during his first run for president. But he wasn't able to get much done. First, because of earlier mass protests, then the pandemic. He won a second term last April, but soon after, his party lost its parliamentary majority. Macron can't run in the next election, and he won't be eligible for another 10 years to stage a comeback. That's why Bernard Smith says the president is so determined to make changes now. He wants this legacy. He's promised to reform the system. He's promised to decrease France's budget deficit to bring it closer to EU norms. And he wants to leave a legacy, of course. And he believes reforming will leave him this legacy of a reforming president. So, I mean, how much of this is just... Emmanuel Macron wants a a legacy, and how much of this is actually needed? Well, the reform is needed. How you reform it 
is the question. Now, there are economists who argue there are other ways to reform, but the general view is that the most efficient way and a long-term effective way to reform pensions is to increase the retirement age. Macron is hoping to gain support for the plan in Parliament to pass his reforms. But if he can't get it, he has another option, to force it through with presidential powers. Ideally, he wants Parliament to pass this reform. He's lost his majority, so he's relying on Conservative French MPs to back him up. If he persuades the Republicans party, Les Republicans, the Conservative party, to back him, then he probably should be able to get it through Parliament. There is a political nuclear option he can use if that doesn't work. There's a constitutional mechanism whereby he can force it through. But if he does that, that would probably force the resignation of the Prime Minister and force new legislative elections, which could then weaken Macron further. If he forces it through like this, then if that then forces legislative elections, his party will lose even more seats because people won't like the fact that this has been forced on them. And so he'll then lose any ability to affect any other change at all. What's this doing to Macron's popularity? I mean, is he mindful of his popularity at all or does he just not care? Well, his popularity is already low, though. It's in the low, I think it's about 35, 36%, mid-30s. It's whether he decides that the best way of restoring his long-term popularity, leaving a legacy, is that people will see him in years to come as the reforming president who reformed pensions. It has to be said it's not the sort of sexiest legacy for somebody to leave, for people to look back and reflect on how wonderful it was that Macron increased the pension age. But if he wants to be seen as a reforming president, he'll probably force it through. Otherwise, the only alternative is he will be just remembered as another president who failed to reform France's social welfare system. So he probably doesn't want that image. But what options does he have? People seem to think that there's a third way and he could perhaps, you know, raise the money from somewhere else. Why is he not going for this third way and raising money from from business or from the uber-rich? Clearly, obviously, there's a lot of resistance from business for them to increase the employer contributions into the pension pot. They will say it will affect competitiveness. We need that money for further investment to create jobs, etc. So there's a very powerful business lobby here, as there is in every other country. And I think the main... So whilst there's that argument, the main argument is... It's not a long-term solution. So the argument about increasing taxes on the very rich, they say, well, we will get more money from them, but not enough and not for long enough. And the same on business, when French businesses operate in the global economy, where they have to compete against businesses in the European Union. So businesses will say, we need to remain competitive. You can't ratchet up our contributions to do that. The opposition of French workers to increasing the retirement age might raise some eyebrows in other parts of Europe. Even at 64, France's retirement age is low compared to other rich countries on the continent. But Bernard says the French perspective on work-life balance is different from many other countries. There is a very interesting 
approach to life, I suppose, in France. They're very protective of their welfare system, uh, which provides generous benefits if you're unfortunate enough to lose your job, uh, provides reasonable retirement benefits and public services. And the French are very proud of that, and they pay the taxes to go with it. And there is a view that, you know, in France, you work to live. Other countries, you may uh, live to work. But in France, the system is you work to live, and they put a lot of emphasis on enjoying life. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with putting emphasis on that. But you do notice that difference here compared to perhaps, certainly from my experience from the, the UK or maybe from the US, where there's more emphasis on living to work, perhaps. As for Axel, he believes more workers should think like the French do, and that this is a conversation about the future of work itself. The underpinning philosophical debate is that our opponents are saying that life expectancy has increased for the past few decades, and you have to put those extra years of life at the disposal of an employer. What we are saying is that if medical progress, social progress, technological progress has made us gain some life expectancy, the current society in which we live now at the beginning of the 21st century is a century where we have generated much more wealth. So all this progress, the question that needs to be asked is, to whom will it profit? The feeling I have is that the further I walk down the path of like a normal worker's life, the further away my opponents are trying to push the horizon of pension away from me. It feels a bit like the horizon. You keep walking towards it and every time you think you're getting forward and you're getting closer, it just keeps being pushed back and back. That doesn't seem acceptable to me and to most workers because we do pay already. And uh, there is a lot of money that we create uh, through our collective labor. There's something wrong here. Where is all the money we're creating going? Because it's not going in terms of wages, it's not going in terms of good quality jobs, and it's not going either in terms of decent pensions in which we can project ourselves after a life of hard labor. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Ashish Mahotra with Nagin Oliai. Chloe K. Lee, Amy Walters, Miranda Lynn, and me, Halamahia Dean. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Aya Elmalek and Adam Abugad are the Takes engagement producers. Alexandra Locke is the Takes executive producer. And Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back on Monday.